Hello and welcome to the Pelvic Floor Connection, the podcast that lifts the lid on the mysterious and misunderstood matters of all things pelvic floor and core health, helping you to better connect with the power of your pelvic floor. With me, Sarah Jane West Watson. Just before we jump into this episode, I want to apologize for um, if you guys are like tuning in to each fortnight session, you will know I am a day late. So huge apologies. Um, I have been having a little bit of time out and took myself away with my lovely family to the beautiful Lake District um, where I was stuck in the world of no reception, no Wi-Fi and um I wasn't able to get this podcast episode uploaded, so entirely my fault. Um, but it was also quite nice just to know that the world wasn't going to stop because I didn't upload my episode. So I am a day late. I sincerely apologise, and I really hope you enjoy this special episode. Welcome to this episode. This is a wonderfully, wonderfully special episode. Um, for a number of different reasons and uh, most importantly because we have an amazing guest Zoe who uh, is a midwife and I'm so privileged to have her come and talk and share because it's sort of a view from the the other side of the river if you like um, and I've been talking an awful lot about birth trauma and Covid births because my role has seen um, an awful lot about how Covid has has affected birthing uh, over the last couple of years and I just thought it's an amazing opportunity to get a midwife's view on what she wishes you guys might know before you come in. So Zoe I'll let you introduce yourself um, and I'd love to know a little bit about how you came to be doing what you're doing now. Thank you very much. So um, I'm Zoe, uh, qualified midwife of eight years um, and recently I've just started my own private business called The Midwife's Touch, um, offering you private antenatal education classes, um, which I can do in a group setting, or you can do one-to-one in your own home, or and breastfeeding support. Um, and the reason I've chosen to do this is because antenatal education is just critical. And unfortunately, um, due to the current maternity crisis we've got in the UK, it's not being offered um, the way it should be on the NHS. Um, so that's why I've, I've stepped back from that. And that's why I'm now um, directly giving it to you guys. <gasps> that's massive. Yes. Yeah. That is huge. Well, well, number one, thank you, uh, because it is so much needed, um, so much needed. And... We were having a little chat before, and we, we've spoken before, um, about about this kind of gap at the moment in the antenatal education, and it's an area that we're working on uh, at Maternity Voices Partnership across um, BCU, but it, overall, I think, you know, as everyone went into lockdown, I think, I don't know, I feel as there's been a, quite a few factors that have happened that sort of now makes the... the the feeling towards the need for antenatal education to have kind of really been suppressed. And as we've gone into lockdown and that hasn't been available face to face and some people have chosen 
I've sort of felt that it's a, a not an opt-in because it's obviously always an opt-in but so it said oh it's online I'll, I'll give it a miss mm-hmm. and that uptake really hasn't improved as we've come out of covid um but how what, what was your involvement with the antenatal education as your your role in within sort of midwifery um well it's something i've always been passionate about right from when i was doing my training as a student midwife um but i've obviously got different experience within different health settings so i've worked you know, in the hospitals, a hospital midwife, so that covers labor ward and the antenatal and postnatal ward, the assessment unit and midwife led unit. And then I've also had a number of years experience working as a community midwife, obviously uh, providing antenatal care throughout ladies' pregnancies and home births um, and seeing them at home once they've had the baby. So um, to be honest, when I was a hospital midwife, I was finding from my sort of last range of experience that it was sort of too late because the times I was seeing people was when they were coming into labor and it's shocking that they they weren't informed or they hadn't had the education or they hadn't been offered that education and then it's really hard to try and give them all this education (laughs) they desperately need when they're of labor oh my goodness so much and and there's this I don't know um we sort of we there's this perception that Oh, it'll be fine. We've been doing this for thousands of years, but it's almost like we've been doing this for thousands of years. But but that was when we were in tune with nature, in tune with our bodies, and we're now in tune with our mobile phones and this kind of so disconnected world from our bodies that we we need to plug that gap. And antenatal education is so much more around than just the path that baby takes from you know coming out of the womb out into the world and I you know hand on heart I think I went into my antenatal classes kind of not really understanding the whole concept of what it could be about and I don't really think that my antenatal class covered the you know that holistic approach um so let's let's kind of let's touch and explore on on like the sciencey bit, the process, and then what what else is good to know antenatally? So I suppose the physiological process is knowing what's involved, what how your body's gonna change, so that then you've got the awareness to know, okay, my boobs are getting bigger. Well, I know that's normal. Or um Oh, oh my gosh, that's how I knew my second was here. I got it was safe. <laughs> on holiday and I got on the aeroplane and literally my bikinis fit me got off the aeroplane I was like I've just eaten so many pies clearly I didn't want I had nothing that fit me on holiday we came home I was like oh yeah I'm pregnant um yeah so it's basically um it's going to give you the tools by having the antenatal education it's going to help you recognize when things are normal or when things aren't normal and, and when you should call your local hospital or your local health professional to seek advice and support. Because I think a lot of the times as well, it can be dangerous if you assume something's okay and normal, but actually that's quite serious, something that we need to sort of look into and investigate. Or... Yeah, and I, th- I think especially at the moment when not everyone really wants to go into hospital because of 
because of COVID, I know, you know, up here at the moment, which is when we're talking, what, in July, um, you know, we're, we're in another little mini peak up here in North Wales. And certainly if you're pregnant, people aren't particularly wanting to go in. And there's a bit of a reluctance of, oh, it'd be fine. And really understanding what what those flags are um, is important. And to know that you can jump up and down and shout about out about them and I think that's one of the nicest things and I always felt that you are really it's a one time as a patient you are really listened to when, when you're pregnant in that you know if you think that something is wrong in those early days then you you are really listened to I don't necessarily think that always transfers into labor room um but in those early days I think that is important that you know what what is wrong so talk, talk me through your approach on the antenatal education that you do now so basically, I think I'm well known and got a bit of a reputation with all my uh, colleagues as being very thorough and a bit OCD. So <laughs> what I'm offering is very extensive, um, everything you need to know. Literally, I, I can hand on heart say I don't think I'm going to miss anything out. So the, now the benefit of that is you could be that one person in 100 that experiences a shoulder dystocia, for example, which isn't very common. But if that is you, I would much prefer that you are prepared, informed, and you know about how we'd manage that situation, how we keep you and the baby as safe as possible. So that if it was to happen to you, you don't you don't feel out of control, you feel safe, you feel calm. Um, and that's basically the whole aim of why I've done, started this business. It's um, no matter what type of labor or pregnancy or delivery you have, whether it's a home birth, a forceps delivery, a vaginal delivery, a breech vaginal delivery, a, you know, a cesarean section, no matter what type of delivery you have or experience you have, the aim is to make it as positive as possible for you by being armed with all the knowledge and tools about how to cope and be in control and feel feel that you can make informed decisions and be at the centre of your care. Which, do you know, it's just, it's so wonderful that you can bring that word positive birth into those all of those sort of atypical situations because i think there's this perception that that if if it doesn't go to plan and you don't have a standard uh, vaginal delivery maybe in a water you know water birth or in a pool and then it's gone wrong and there's going to be trauma and it's about opening the awareness that actually you know birth is a natural process it can go a thousand and one different ways on any given day of the week and none all of those different ways can have really positive outcomes I mean they can be a really positive experience and I think we've become so brainwashed as a society that almost if it doesn't go to your plan to your ideal it has to be bad and there's kind of this perception of failure yeah. and therefore the fear and the trauma and everything else but and I love what you say and it's totally you know the approach that I take is is the awareness that th there's lots of different outcomes, but to keep in your, to keep empowered, to keep in your zone, to keep calm, and to keep in that that moment of, okay, I've, I've okay, it's not happening quite like that. It's happening like that, but we're going to go with the flow for this. Yeah. It, it's transformational for the woman's experience. Oh my gosh, and the partners, like it's just absolutely vital. Like, I could talk about it till the cows come home because, you know, a couple that have just been on one of my group courses recently. Um, 
they did have some complications in pregnancy anyway, so they were classed as consultant led care. Um, but they did end up having a range of interventions. Um, but basically the feedback they've given me, which sort of proves as to why I wanted to do it, my business as I have, is that even though they experienced, uh, you know, induction of labor, an epidural, uh, um, an FSE, which was a fetal scalp electrode on the baby's head, um, you know, a forceps delivery, a postpartum hemorrhage, all these things, um, they actually felt better for doing the program with me because they felt in control. Oh, yeah. They could understand all the language that the doctors and the midwives were talking. They, the, the, to be honest, it saved time, um, you know, because they already understood what these things were and why they were needed. And, and they just felt a lot more in control, which has huge benefits for them in terms of their recovery and, and how they perceive that experience. And also the bonding with baby. And, we, t- you know, we talked touched on it uh, in a previous episode, that impact of trauma in those early days post-trauma can really impact the skin to skin. It can impact that connection. And that has a massive impact. You know, the ripple effect from that is is just colossal. And I think we... You know, I think anything that you can do to really kind of say, look, here's what you need to know. Hopefully you won't need 90% of it. But as you said, you know, they're in there and their world is not falling apart because it's terminology, it's it's scenarios that they already know. So they're like, okay, we're, we're deviating down this plan. Uh, this is the thing that's happening and you know going back I could talk about the flipping brain acronym all day and I think it's wonderful and we should use it a thousand times more than we do Um, and for those that don't know then the acronym to support your empowerment in in birth Um, B for benefit so if you're if you're looking at different options or um, things might be slightly going off plan, then it's been able to say, well, what are the benefits of what you're telling me versus what we're doing now? What are the risks? What are the alternatives? What's my intuition saying? What happens if we do nothing? What happens if we have a two minute pause? Um, what happens if we don't change what we're doing? Then it also enables mum and partner to be 100% more present in that brain conversation because they've had those chats with you. They know what an epidural is about. They know the different types of epidural. They know what might then, how that might impact recovery days in hospital afterwards. And they just, that knowledge is so powerful that it takes so much of that, oh my goodness, what's happening out of the equation. Yeah, and, and just to also highlight that this is why it's so, so important to have this when you're pregnant, all this knowledge and education in pregnancy, because I can honestly say um, we've missed the boat if we're trying to educate you whilst you're in labour, because that's a time where, you know, if you've had the antenatal education, we'll obviously give you coping strategies and and um, and you, really in labour, you want to be going into your Zen zone and you know, yeah. meditate, meditation um uh, mind mindfulness and things because you know if we're trying to like force education down your neck at that point we've sort of lost the battle really I think that's right and I think it can be so I I was very I've been very fortunate to kind of to have one birth in zen and one birth that was a really positive birth but I wasn't in zen and I can probably say it's as positive as birth as I could have had without knowing how to keep my sh1t totally together 
Um, and I would say that's probably what most people feel who have a positive birth count. It went, yeah, it went, it went really well. It was good. It was lovely. Um, rather than the second birth where I really prepped for it, you know, and I really planned for it. I dealt with a huge amount of issues around fear of being consultant led, fear of having an induction, which I had. It was the most amazing experience ever. Um, and I was so in tune with, I can always remember, it was so absolutely in tune with, with exactly where I was in the labour process, exactly where she was. And when I was ready, you know, f for, f to do each component. And I think that is such a different experience. Not that the first one was bad, but to be given a little bit more insight into the importance of staying in your zen and to it be more about staying in your zen than about pain relief um because i you know the, there was no difference in the level of pain and i was having this interesting conversation with someone recently there is no interesting there is obviously no difference in the level of pain in fact probably second time with hyper contractions and induction it was all a little bit probably more intense mm -hmm. but i was just i went with it and we were there and it wasn't pain because I'd programmed and I prepped and I had, um, I'd known that when the going gets tough, that's actually when I need to sink deeper into my Zen instead of fighting it, which is probably what I did the first time round because I did standard antenatal, which is, was good, but it, it sort of, it just said deal with the intensity with pain relief rather than find your zen, find empowerment, relax, follow your intuition. Um, and yes, there was nine, you know, there was six years between the two. Um, and I think things have moved on. But I think then now things have really moved backwards. Um, and with call a midwife and everything else, I think we are left in a position that everyone thinks, oh, I know it, everyone's done it. So it would be fine. Yeah, and it's really scary, you know, because the way the media and, you know, films, for example, and, and even these documentaries like One Born Every Minute and everything, they're oh. so highly edited and, you know, the movies aren't realistic. So people are, are being led to believe that, oh, for example, when your waters go, it's like <laughs> a explosion. Like, a lot of the time, for most people, sometimes people don't even know they've gone because it's like totally no. triple. Like it's really <laughs> the education is so important. <laughs> It is, and I can remember the second time round. I was like, literally, I don't want one birth story. I'm not listening to one. I'm not watching one movie. I'm not, and I just, I mentally was like, we're just closing that box because I'm working so much on on that education, and I think it's bad. I think you know, birthing. Oh my goodness, movies that have births in. I, you know, it is irresponsible. It is genuinely irresponsible to show traumatized, glamorizing a process that isn't like that. Um, oh, and, and for example, you know, sorry, I'm getting, getting going. <laughs> you, know, when, you know, in the movies, often when you see people in labor, they're on the bed, you know. Oh, they're on the bed. They're screaming, I hate you. <laughs> it's just yeah, like. Sometimes in reality, it is like that. But again, that's because of lack of education, because people haven't been taught that it's one of the worst things. And if you want to do that, then absolutely that's your right. and We won't judge you for it. But if you have the education, you'll understand that lying on your back in labour on a bed, <laughs> the worst thing you can do 
because it slows the progression of oh. it increases your risk of interventions you know and on the movies you don't see people in all fours or mobilizing no or or you don't see the partner gently soothing and rubbing the back and lights down you know it's all bright lights because they're making they're making a movie they want to make it look exciting and edgy yeah so so i would definitely say yeah and antenatal education sit, filter off your movie list <laughs> and what you're watching for definite um for definite and do you know that makes a big difference and also having the confidence as well to say to people do you know what i'm not going to I'm, i i appreciate and I've got all the time in the world after my birth to listen to what happened to you. But I'm just, I don't. And really, it's an important thing to talk about because comparison and people's opinions, you know, when you're pregnant, you'll often oh. hear people saying, oh, you're very small, or oh, you're really big, you know, you're bump. And like, they don't ra- realise, I think, the damage they can cause by their words. And yes. also, who are they comparing you to? They're comparing you to all, every other pregnant person they've seen well. Every single person and every pregnancy and every baby is completely unique and different. So we shouldn't be comparing at all. No, and that makes a lasting impression on people. A really lasting impression. And I think the sizing as well. Um, and the, the fear of sizing. And I know it's, I think it's about how we're communicating this out, which is, again, another theme that we're trying to, to work on in the maternity voices is, is how people are communicating out. Oh, okay, you might have a... a, a, a um, it might be appearing that you're having a larger baby, higher on the uh, centile scale, but that doesn't mean you have to have the fear of God put into you about what's going to happen because big babies can't, you know, they, they can be the most positive birth experience yeah. as well. And this is another big topic because um, also the, 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 the one thing to be aware of is that the best tool we've got to estimate the baby's growth, the fetal growth, is with an ultrasound scan. Um, but not no one's really aware that ultrasound scans aren't 100% accurate. No. Sometimes they can be out by a pound or so either side. So, But we're, ben- we're basing our, as professionals, our decision-making and doctors might be offering intervention based on that scan result, which actually isn't 100% accurate so then we're in, in, you know we're introducing an intervention and when you introduce one intervention usually it leads to more interventions because if you have an induction you're more likely to have an epidural you're more at risk of um, you know all these different things um, so it's, it's also just being aware about um, the tools we've got and, and knowing the statistics and knowing the facts about um, you know um, all these different things. No, absolutely, hundred percent. And I would probably say to people who are possibly nearing the end of their pregnancy, who might be listening to this, thinking, mm, "I haven't really done a lot of homework." Um, what would be some of the kind of tips that you would say to them? I would say definitely book in with me for one. Day. <laughs> and that's not just like a sales pitch, but. Um, that's, you know, with my one-to-one at your home, I can do it at such a quick pace, like it usually takes about seven, eight hours to do it one-to-one. But if you're, say, 39 weeks and you're worried, you know, you could go into labour any day, like I could do the whole thing for you at home in one day if you really wanted. Like, you know, I'm easy going and I'm just desperate for you guys to get the education. So so that's the first thing. And I think, it's, it, yeah, and it helps, it helps 
the midwives for, to say to to be a um a birthing mum going in to either the midwife led unit or um labor ward it it makes such a difference when you've got someone who knows what what they're doing and how they can help the process i guess how how does that experience alter gosh it's quite amazing really it's just like well one it takes the pressure off the midwife or your healthcare professional um because they don't have to try and educate you at, at that point in labor because you know you, you'll have the conversation and they know that you know all these things so it's going to make the communication so much easier between you and your healthcare providers. Um, you know, they can help create that relaxing, um, you know, uh, oxytocin releasing environment for you because, you know, we don't need to chat about all that now because we know you know it. Yes. So help to support you and actually do the role of a midwife in labour, which is to be with you and your partner and support you and give you that one-to-one care and make the environment as calm as possible so you're releasing all the oxytocin. And be a little bit more hands-off. Yes, definitely. Well, yeah, definitely. Because also, the problem is, um, we've, we've done so well over the years in terms of medicine and technology, because obviously years and years ago, women and babies were dying, you know, back in, back in the day because we didn't have the technology or the information or the evidence and everything we've got now. And we've come such a long way and saved so many lives in the process, which is fantastic. But now we've almost normalized this medical model of care. Yes. And we're now losing touch and forgetting our roots about physiological natural oh, childbirth. Which, so much. Yeah, which for the majority of women, is the likely route they're gonna, that's going to happen. And the problem is, because we're stuck in this medical model of care and there's fear of litigation and defensive practice, that sometimes these interventions are being sort of uh, offered to your left, right and centre. And, and my, my goal is to teach you and educate you about when an intervention is clinically needed and when it isn't, and you having the tools to find that information out. Yeah, and it, it gosh, it it can be so it can be so overwhelming and i think um even as someone who's educated it's still a tough in that scenario it's a tough battle sometimes and you know whether or not it should be a battle is a whole other discussion but you know to to have that confidence um to to say well actually what what can can if ever you know for example if everything slows down in labor and the you know to to have that confidence to say do you know what i think i've just got a bit overwhelmed can everyone just give me five minutes partner quiet time get that oxytocin going let your body feel safe again that takes guts to say that in the middle you know when faced with a consultant perhaps or faced with a midwife it takes guts and it takes knowledge and i think you know that's that's to me where some people say well i'd never say that it's like well it's your body it's your birth you know you you've got that option um and to be knowledgeable about the fact that hey, you have that option and the benefit of doing that option is is really really powerful stuff um but i have i'm i'm very conscious that i have digressed you from number one <laughs> so what else um what would be some t- other top tips that you would say to people going in if you could just sort of plug a USB of knowledge in their head as they're going in. I would say, um, 
would say have an idea of what you'd like. So obviously have sort of a birth plan, but try not to be disheartened if it doesn't go 100% to plan. Because, you know, pregnancy, labour and birth, and even the events after baby's been born, um, they are, um, what's the word? Um, totally flexible. Yeah. Spontaneous. It's natural. Yeah, it's just... Yeah. You can't predict these things. No. Unfortunately, we don't all have a crystal ball and all you can do is your best. Uh, 100%. But, yeah. I always say to people, have it, I, I treated it like as a, as a little CV to say to, to a group of people who had never met, this is me at the most vulnerable time you're going to see me. Mm -hmm. This is how I like to be spoken to. This is, and I had, you know, I had on there, um, this this is, my partner is, this is how I am. These are the words that I have been talking, you know, the mantras that I've been using. Rather than kind of going, this is the birth I want. This is, if things go wrong, please reinforce my need to be calm. I need to get in my zone, focus on my breathing. And that will then help the decision-making. And I think this obsession with the plan, oh, totally the other way, not having a plan, because what's the point in having a plan because it never goes to plan anyway? That's something that I'm hearing often, yeah. um, especially in the absence of antenatal education. And that can be a bit of a recipe for disaster as well. And I think as well, like like you've already mentioned about the brain acronym, like if you can take away anything, it's that brain acronym, like because that's going to allow you to make informed decisions which is going to completely have a massive effect on the whole experience oh a hundred percent a hundred percent so if people want to get in touch with you karen karen zoe i've got my head in totally in different places if people want to get in touch with you zoe how do they do that um so my website is www uh, hyphen midwives which is m-i-d-w-i-f-e-s hyphen touch dot com um, or you can ring me um, on 077-251-90917 and I'm also on Facebook and midwives touch and on Instagram um, at dot midwives dot touch <laughs> yes Thank you. So if you don't follow Zoe, make sure that you do. I will put all of those links in the show notes. Um, and you do one-to-ones and you do group sessions. And you do, I think it's important to say, you do your one-to-one -one sessions online. So if you aren't based in exotic North Wales, you do everything available online as well. Um, in this day and age, it's kind of normal, isn't it? Um, so <laughs> when would be the ideal time that someone would get in touch with yourself? To be honest, absolutely any time, because as long as you have this education, it doesn't matter when you have it, even if, say you weren't even pregnant now, you were just planning on conceiving, like any time is better than not having it at all. But to be honest, um, the optimal time, I would say, is sort of when you're between 26 to 33 weeks pregnant. And the reason I say that is because it's sort of towards the middle, near the end of your pregnancy, so it's fresh in your mind for when you go into labour and towards the end of pregnancy. But also, we finish the programme and all the education sort of before you're 36 weeks, ideally, so that if you did go into premature labour, you're still, you're still armed and equipped with all the knowledge. Yeah, and that's a critical time, that 36 weeks. Yeah, um, yeah and absolutely. And I can remember I went in for my 36-week, I was consultant-led in a second with my, my Zen hat on, 
and they turned around and said, it's right, you're 36 weeks, it's 11 o'clock now, 2 o'clock you're going up to be induced. And that was my chat about induction. I was like, uh, uh, no, no, that's not happening. <laughs> what we see, you see, it's, uh, we, we, we need to work on consent as well, which is about the maternity voices. We're often taking assumed consent or, okay, we're going to book you in for induction. Yes. Not really, they've not really explained why, maybe, or, or have exactly. they explained why, and have they explained the risks of an induction, have they explained the benefits of an induction, have they given you any other options, probably not, so, you know, no. all things you need to be asking them with the brain acronym, but also as healthcare professionals, we need to be um, getting a bit hotter on those things as well. Yeah, and you, I just can't, I can't, I can't. kind of back it up enough to say that I I had to find a place quite deep to turn around to that consultant and say can you tell me exactly why I went going through the brain acronym and it took the antenatal education all of my education to be questioning and challenging well what are the alternatives what are the benefits and the risks of those alternatives versus what you're doing um and he perceived my alternative is going in every other day for a scan and for monitoring as something that was totally untenable. Whereas for me, that was way the better option than having an induction at 36 weeks when actually I had a studio still full of people that I had to go back to in the afternoon. And I was, you know, and I think sometimes that's why that's what I ended up doing for another five weeks. And yes, I did have the induction at the end, but it felt right. It was my decision and it was the right time for me to have it. And But I wouldn't have done that and I wouldn't have had the positive experience without that knowledge and support. Um, so I just think that you are doing an amazingly needed job. Um, and this isn't saying that the antenatal care and support that's out there in the NHS yeah, is is bad this is just saying i think if you have the opportunity um to really deep dive into it and you are looking yeah. for someone for support and to to take you to a place that you you probably won't get that level of information from without an awful lot of digging um easily in your own home at your own pace uh with a great person that is zoe then uh, yeah do get in touch with her so make sure that you follow like contact details will be in um the show notes and uh, on that note have you got any closing words what final thoughts would you like to leave any any pregnant mummers or people who potentially are thinking or oh, didn't go well the first time uh i really don't fancy a second birth just knowledge is power absolutely and also to clarify that this education isn't solely for first-time parents it's for everybody like you might have had three children before but you might not have had a proper in-depth antenatal education before or you might have experienced birth trauma in the past so th this program and the education that i'm offering is literally so inclusive for everybody whether you've had children before or if you haven't yeah. I'd almost say it's almost more important if you have had a, an experience where you thought it could be different or you'd hoped it could have been different. I'd say that is really, you know, that is bells and whistles shouting for going deep dive into the subject matter, 100%. Um, and also we have fun as well. Like it's, 
you know, my aim with the programme, the education is not to bore people and not to take them back to school where they're waiting for the bell to ring. We have <laughs> lots of fun, we play lots of games, we get to know each other, we have lots of social time as well. And we're creating those positive support networks and they've always got open access to me and um, they'll obviously make friends hopefully from the group. So it's about, you know, that's another side of it. It's really, really important to get a positive support network that people that are building you up, not trying to tear you down. Oh, 100%. 100% on that note, building up. I think we will call it a day, wrap it up. But Zoe, thank you so much for everything um, that you've shared. I'm really hoping that we can have some deeper chats again in the future because I think that would be wonderful. Um, so all those link links, again, will be in the show notes. Um, and please, please do make sure that you hit subscribe and take a moment to rate and review this podcast um, as that really does make a difference. But thank Thank you very much indeed. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you have, then please do take a moment to rate and review me on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. Help me to help make this conversation be heard and take the shame away from pelvic pain. Mm-hmm.